You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you would stay standing, I want to read for us a couple verses that we're going to spend a little more time in tonight. I want God to speak to us first in Acts chapter 13. says, let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to gather to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's easy to kind of move into our rhythms and our routines and for being in this room for many of us just becomes part of what we do. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us move past what is familiar, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the cross and to really grab hold of the good news of the gospel and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right, you can have a seat. Bill said this earlier, but I know we have several people trickling in. Welcome, we're glad you're here with us. If you're a visitor for whatever reason, if you're out of town, you're back home, we're glad you're here with us. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Clint, one of the pastors on staff and I'm grateful for the opportunity we have tonight it's weird even just saying that tonight, right? Anybody come in here and say, hey, good morning? Just like out of habit, that's just what we do. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts 13. That's where we're gonna be. It is weird to be here at night. I, I feel like I'm typically up here in the morning and I think that is a gift of grace to us from God. I'm gonna explain that here in a bit. But as Christians, or really as people in general, we have a tendency to move towards rhythm move towards routine, move towards patterns in our lives. It's just what we do, right? It's, we park in the same spots every chance we get. We sleep on the same side of bed, of the bed, right? Even if we're out of town, it's just a part of what we do, a part of our routine. And it's not bad, it's normal. Normal is good, but if we're not careful, what can happen is normal can lead us to take really the things that are most important to us for granted. If we're not careful, normal can become something where it blinds us from seeing the beauties of the world around us. Several years ago, I um, went to Kenya with a group of high school students that I was on staff at a church at the time and we went over there and it was an incredible opportunity to partner with a church planner. And to say that it was a rural area would be an overstatement, right? We would walk for miles and miles and see these homes built with, by hand with sticks and mud and through the use of a translator, just have the opportunity to engage people and to share the good news of the gospel with them if they would enter into that conversation with us, it was awesome. And so the last day of that trip as we're moving our way back to the airport, we kind of went through to do like a cultural fun day. We're gonna go on safari, it's what people call it. But in reality, what it is, is you just pack in these vans and then you drive through these fields seeing animals that you would otherwise only be able to see in zoos. And this particular park, this national park was known for its population of African elephants. And so we did like a two part, like a whole day deal. So we drove in at night, it was dark, didn't see anything, stayed at a hotel in the middle of the park and then we did a sunrise deal, went back and had lunch and then we did an evening thing. And when we went out, 
before daybreak, the sun's coming up and we're looking like, hey, what's that? And it's just, I mean, unbelievable to see these animals in their natural habitat, especially these elephants, right? Just the sun's coming up, hey, what's that? Oh my gosh, people flipping out, right? These massive creatures with these huge tusks, like uh, adult African elephants can easily weigh over 10,000 pounds. And we're just like blown away by the reality that we can see these creatures again in their, not in a zoo, but in their natural habitat. I bet we saw 500 elephants that day. What I noticed as the day went on, really just the course of a few hours, is all that, oh my gosh, can you believe what we're seeing right now? It quickly turned into, oh, it's just another elephant. (laughs) And you guys laugh, and, and I'm like on the verge of being emotional by that, because the reason was it became familiar, right? It became too normal. And I think that we have the tendency to do that when we gather in a room like this and we consider the cross and we consider the implications of what Christ has done for us and we grow so normal, which is a good thing. It's a a grace of God to us that we know the story, that we know the songs we just sing because that is not the case for our brothers and sisters around the world. It is a grace of God to us, but I think what happens is it just becomes a part of what we do, that we downshift into routine and we just check our boxes as we work our way down the list of things that we have to get to next. And tonight we have an opportunity to try to push through what is for most of us very familiar. That we dial into what we really believe about this man named Jesus and how it is that we can celebrate something, even call it good, that was so horrifically evil. And in reality, the, the world's greatest injustice that we come in this room tonight and say that was a good Friday. And so the fact that you're here tonight leads me to believe that you're familiar with what we mean when we say Good Friday, but just in case, Good Friday is the, typically the Friday before Easter, if maybe always, right? It's the Friday before Easter. It's the day historically that Christians would celebrate the anniversary of the death of Jesus. And here are the facts. Ethan mentioned it earlier. The facts is that on a Friday afternoon, somewhere around the year 33 AD, on a cross, on a hill, outside the city of Jerusalem, a man named Jesus died. Those are the facts, right? We, we know that. The facts are something we're familiar with. That's not news to any of us. And don't get me wrong, the facts are important. We must know the facts. But what's even more important is what we believe about the man who died that day. So we know what happened, but do we believe it? And if we do believe that, do we believe that it has any bearing on our lives at this moment? on the other side of the world over 2,000 years later. I think the text we read earlier sets this up well. This contrast between simply knowing something and actually believing it, grabbing a hold of it at a deeper capacity. And so I wanna look at this together in more detail, Acts 13. For context, this is the Apostle Paul sharing the good news of the gospel with a group of Jews. In verse 38, he says this, let it be known to you that through this man, Jesus, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So we see here how the Apostle Paul is positioning these two things in a different way of what it means to be known or knowing something to actually believing it. He says, let it be known 
The word here literally means to be informed or to take note of something, but if you look in the original language, other places in the New Testament, this same word translated here, let it be known, is translated acquaintances or even friends. And so you're thinking, what do those two things have to do with each other? The idea is it's someone you know, someone you're familiar with, an acquaintance, but it's not someone who you're deeply connected to. And again, knowing isn't a bad thing. Knowledge of the truth is incredibly important. In fact, it's essential. Paul says, let it be known. Grab onto this idea that through this man, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That is good news for all of us. That there has been this royal proclamation from God himself that the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. It is made available to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ, particularly on the cross. But this phrase, forgiveness of sins, it's another one of those things that can just become normal to us, that we just get so used to it. And as a result, our amazement of this reality that we have been freed from our sins, it moves, it transitions from, can you believe it, into, oh, I've heard that before. Just another elephant. Another way to say forgiveness of sins is to say a pardon from our offenses. A literal translation of the word sin here is to miss the mark. So what Paul is saying is let it be known that all the ways that you have failed to be who you are supposed to be, all the ways that you've dropped the ball and you've come up short in your life, and I'm not just talking about the times that you've come up short when you prepared and you tried real hard and you did the best you could and then you still didn't quite measure up. No, I'm not talking about that. I am, but I'm also talking about the things in your life that you replay over and over and over again and you think to yourself, how could I have done that? How could I have said those things? The things that bring so much shame in your life that they seem to physically weigh you down at times, Paul says, let it be known that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is available to you. Liberty from that shame, freedom from that weight is available to us in Jesus. And like I said earlier, that is good news. It's just not the good news. It's not all of the good news that's here for us in this text because Paul doesn't stop in verse 38. He goes on because it isn't enough to just know that. It isn't enough just to have that information in your mind. We have to know it, but it has to move to something deeper. Look at verse 39. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he says, let it be known that the forgiveness of sins is made available to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But if anyone is listening with fresh ears, that should sound to us too good to be true. It's one of those infomercials, right? One of those commercials where the guy comes on and you think, man, that product looks amazing, but in the back of your mind, you know it, it can't work that way. You know what I'm saying? Like you're thinking about it, you're going, it's, it's too good to be true, where's the fine print? It can't be that cheap, it can't work that well. Those types of thoughts should be rolling in our minds right now. And verse 39 is the fine print. But it's opposite of what we would expect it to be because normally the fine print brings that amazing deal, that amazing product back down to reality and in here, the fine print makes it better. Verse 39 says, by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything. And just so you know, those words in the original language, they mean the exact same thing they mean in English. Everyone freed from everything which means there is no sin in your life too big or too dirty that Jesus can take care of. 
That that doesn't exist. Everyone freed from everything. But it doesn't just say that. It says everyone who what? Everyone who what? Believes. This is what I meant by saying the fine print makes it better, not worse. Because this is the opposite of what we would expect it to be. We think that freedom from sin and shame is found in Jesus, yes, but it's also found in all the good things that we bring to the table. Yes, it's found in Jesus, but it's also in all our performing to make up for the ways that we failed in the past. And so we hear the proclamation from God, let it be known that forgiveness from sins is available to you in Jesus, and we know that. We know that we can't do it on our own. We know that the power of God for salvation is found in the cross and what Jesus has accomplished for us but where we get it wrong is we think it's up to us to do enough, to earn enough, to purchase the ticket so that we can come to him so he won't turn us away. And so how it works is we do all these things and we work and we bring it to the cross and we say, God, look at how hard I'm trying. Look at how hard I'm working. Will you forgive me now? And the Bible says that's not how it works. It says by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So when you see language like that in the scriptures, law of Moses, or even just the word law, you should think in your mind, performance. That's what this means. The law of Moses is what was required for someone to earn for themselves right standing with God. It was the rules. It was following the rules. And Paul's point to this group of Jews who had lived the entirety of their lives under that system, under a system of you need to do better, under a system of you need to try harder, you need to make sure you hit your spots and follow your rules. He was saying to them, how's that working for you? Does it feel like freedom or does it feel like slavery? And he says freedom is available to those who believe. Not to those who believe and perform, not to those who believe and whatever. Freedom is available to those who believe. And I think one of the primary reasons that hearing and responding to the message of the cross can become so normal to us is because we know verses 38 and 39, but we struggle to believe it. If we're honest, the word belief here, it literally means to commit to or to trust. So it means to think of something as reliable. So if someone's trustworthy or reliable, it means you can count on them, right? It means that they're not going to let you down. So if you're in this room tonight, you're trying to decide as I'm positioning these two things and the Apostle Paul, the word of God is positioning to these two things and saying that it's not enough just to know the gospel. You have to also believe it. You have to also embrace it. If you're trying to figure out where you're at in that list and allow the word of God to breathe and lay itself over your life, you need to answer this question. When you consider the good news of the gospel and simply the statement that says everyone who believes in him, in Jesus and what he's done, when you hear that, do you think, Will it hold? Can it hold the weight of my life? Can I put the full weight of all that I bring to the table, all my sin and all my shame and all of it, can it hold the weight or will it just like everything else, when I lean into it, when I give myself to it, will it leave me broken and disappointed and all alone trying to pick myself up? What we have to answer tonight is not only do we know it, but do we believe it? Do we believe that it counts for us? That Christ on the cross on that hill outside the city of Jerusalem, he didn't just die, but that he died in your place. There's a difference there. 
That's the difference between knowing and believing. Did he die or did he die for you? Did he die the death that you deserved, that he took your place so that you might be given the place reserved for him? And what that means tonight for us is that every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, has been completely erased, and your record is like you've never sinned before. Colossians says, he, Jesus, canceled the record of debt that stood against us, and he did it by nailing it to the cross. But the good news of the gospel gets better. And that's why we can call something so horrifically evil good, because not only is your record wiped clean, but the perfect record of Jesus now counts for you forever. I heard a a pastor say one time that the gospel can be summed up in four words. He said, it's Christ in my place. When I heard that, I was like, that's so good. It feels so right to say that the gospel can be summed up in its totality in four words to say Christ in my place. And there's something so right about that, especially on Good Friday for us to consider and even look at the cross and say, I should have been there. That he did that for me. There's something so right about that. But I think we need four more words because it's not just Christ in my place. It's also and me in his Jesus didn't just die for you to give you a second shot and now you have this get out of jail free card and you better be real careful and try real hard that you don't mess it up this time. 2 Corinthians 5 says, he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the difference between knowing and believing. Jesus didn't just die, he died for me. Christ in my place and me in his, it means something I'm convinced is the difference for us of living a life of contentment and following after a Jesus and living a life of constantly wondering, is there something more? The difference between knowing and believing is so crucial, so pivotal for us. Constantly wondering in our lives, am I good enough for God? Am I good enough for the people around me? Am I good enough for my family? Am I good enough for my children, whatever? If it's not just Christ in your place, if it's also you and his, it means that when God the Father looks at you, when he thinks of you, he is never, and I meant that, he is never disappointed in you. If it's not just Christ in your place, if it's also you and his, every time he sees you, he sees the perfect record of Christ, the resume, everything he accomplished counts for you always, no matter your current circumstances. But do you feel how freeing that is? that not only is God not disappointed in you, but that his full, the full weight of his delight in you is always on you. Every time you feel that feeling inside of you that wells up and you think to yourself, am I a bad mom? You think, am I a bad husband? Am I a bad person? Am I a failure? Does my life even matter? Does anyone care when those questions begin to swirl around in your heart and your mind? And it's usually, isn't it, met so quickly with this overwhelming feeling of guilt and shame, the enemy whispering, you think, am I a bad mom? He says, yes, you are. Every time that swirls up in your head, you remember the cross and you remember what Jesus says right before he yields his spirit and goes to heaven and the curtain is torn, meaning you are given complete access to God the Father forever. He says what? It is finished. And so when the enemy says, yes, you're about, he goes, no, it's finished. That's the difference between knowing and believing. 
We remember the cross because on the cross, Jesus is God saying to us, I know. I know where you've been. I know what you've done and I know who you are and you are no longer defined by all the ways that you've dropped the ball in the past, all the ways that you continue to fail even now. You are the righteousness of God. And this is the message of the cross. This should be the song in the heart of the Christian until Jesus comes back to make all things new. Christ in my place and me in his. God the Father is never disappointed in me. In fact, he is always delighting in me. Let me pray for us and let's sing and respond. Father, we need your help. It is hard to hear that and not to think, not me. We need your help. Holy Spirit, would you be with us in this room as we move and turn our attention toward the table? Would you help us believe, not just know, but to believe, to, to feel the freedom, to put the full weight of our lives on this thing, on the gospel, on Jesus, that it actually counts for us. We need your help, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a moment, we're gonna respond by singing. Before we do that, we're gonna respond by remembering the cross the way Jesus said that we should remember it by coming to the table together as the family of God. So on the night before Jesus was arrested, before he was sentenced to death for some crimes that he didn't commit, he's with his closest followers, and they were sharing the Passover meal together, right? Something that was for them very familiar and as they're just kind of going through the motions, doing what they've always done, Jesus takes bread. It's a little bit different for them. He takes bread, he breaks it. He says, this is my body broken for you. They're like, what? And he takes wine and he pours it in the cup. And he says, this is my blood shed for you. And they're going, What's, why is this different? Jesus is altering 1,500 years of tradition, better yet, 1,500 years of preparation for this moment in history where he is unveiling that they are no longer gonna celebrate God's provision for them in a lamb that was slain to free them from slavery in Egypt, and now, instead, they're gonna celebrate Jesus as the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 11 says, as long as you do this, as you take this meal, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which means that we are saying, I don't just know it, I believe it. And maybe even like Mark 9, we're in a space where we say, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief, right? Help me believe that this actually counts for me. And we take communion together because we have a tendency to forget the power of the cross in our lives. We forget to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we think that if we're gonna matter in this world, it's up to us to perform. We have to work hard. And Jesus wants to remind you tonight on Good Friday that it's the opposite. That he emptied himself for you. And communion is tangible evidence that Jesus came and gave himself for us. We get to put it in our hands and actually put it in our body. That he saved us from destruction, that his delight is in us. And this is an opportunity for us tonight to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with God that this meal is not for people who are perfect. It's for people who know they're not. It's for people who know they don't deserve the love of God, but he invites them to come to him anyways.
to remember Christ in my place and me in his. I'm gonna pray again and then you'll be free to come up here. The band's gonna play some music and we're gonna kind of jump right in again. As you stand in line, as you take this meal, you consider Jesus, believe the good news, remember that this is God's way of reminding you that he is not disappointed in you, that you are fully welcomed and accepted by God because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross. It's gonna be chaotic, right? We don't, I don't really know how we're gonna do this, and so it's good though, right? We're doing this as a family, so if you're in this room, which we're all in this room, if we're hearing me right now, um, Clearly this part wasn't planned, right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come down the aisle that leads to the tables or go out to the aisle that leads to the tables or there's one up in the balcony. You guys can figure it out. Thank you for serving us by sitting up there. Um, to come down to the table and exit out to the outside and we're gonna take Christ's body symbolically in our hands, his blood shed for us and we remember I'm accepted by God. He's not disappointed in me. We remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you're trying to wonder what that means, if it's not remembering for you, if you haven't believed, not that, not that you're struggling to believe that it counts for you, but if you haven't believed and trusted, we're just gonna ask you to abstain from moving towards the table because it's not remembering for you. But we want it to be. And so if we can talk to you, if I can pray for you, I would love to do that. Again, let me pray and then let's remember together Christ in my place and me in his. Father, thank you that you love us enough to bring us into this room on a Friday night when we would be normally doing who knows what. Thank you for moving us past the familiar and helping us respond in faith with empty hands. Nothing in our hands we bring simply to the cross we cling, God, would you help us to believe that, that it might be true for us. For some of us again, for some of us for the hundredth time, for some of us maybe for the very first time, we trust you. Thank you for the cross, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.